I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not replace your own financial, tax, legal, or financial product advice. Today we unpack the federal budget and we talk about the ins and outs of what that means for property investors, what it means for first home buyers, what it means for anyone related to property in general. So Emily and I will show our thoughts and opinions, rightly or wrongly, and we'll scuff our way through it as we always do. So if you've been keeping an eye on the budget, but you're still not really sure what it means for you and property moving forward, this is the episode for you. Let's unpack it now. So Emily, I guess you would have been up to all hours uh, listening and watching with bated breath to understand just what Josh Frydenberg, the treasurer of the, of the country as we see it, was going to tell us uh, for the federal budget. Truth be told, probably like most uh, millennials around, I was just waiting for Instagram to post about it so I could learn about it. <laughs> I yeah. didn't. I didn't actually watch the entire thing. I've seen snippets, uh, but I was awaiting for the media to take hold and release the important stuff. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, and look, I was the same. Um, but as I said, uh, Glenn and I unpacked it on a on a complete level last, uh, whenever it was, um, on the main show, and um, so. What I did say on that, and apologies if you're hearing this for a second time, but that means you're listening to both of our shows, which is awesome. <laughs> uh, I was sitting there the morning after with my eight-year-old. He was having his cereal and Josh Frydenberg was on the, the ABC News and he was saying, talking about the pros and there was no cons to the budget according to him, but um, essentially well, he was just yarning on about the, the good things that he's doing. And Charlie's sitting there saying, what, what, who is this bloke, Dad? Um, and it actually made me think as a parent, for all the parents out there, uh, we're always educators. And so I had to tell him, well, actually, Josh is in, the, in, in control of the whole country's financial system, which is pretty heavy shoulders, isn't it, when you think mm-hmm. of it that way? It's like he gets to decide primarily where the money goes and what you do with it, um, just like mum and dad do that for, for you and, and, and our family at home. So, it, uh, yeah, it was interesting to, to think of it that way and um, hopefully he's getting it right more often than not. Very true. And it's such an interesting thing because I imagine when you're making decisions, you have to remain so um, neutral to the situation, right? Uh, when you're dealing with literally the nation's financial situation, you can't be making decisions based on what might benefit you and your wider circle or it really has to be very um, neutral and try and level the playing field in every sort of sector. You know, there's all different disbursements of the budget as to where it goes. And some years it's benefited some areas more than others. Um, But I guess, you know, in the lead up to budget, there's always people putting cases forward and evidence as to why their particular area of interest needs more money or needs allocation of funds. So I actually think it's like all in all, I think it's a reasonably fair budget. 
Yeah, look, uh, I think, I mean, let, let's unpack that. What, what do you think of the budget from a housing perspective without going into detail of what it is and what it means? What, yeah. what did you think for, for property buyers? Yeah, not surprising. Like I just think it was, it was, I wasn't jumping up and down at all. Like I wasn't super excited about it, but I was also not really surprised by it. I was kind of like, oh, that makes sense. You know, it'll help some people. Obviously with property being such a high value item, when you allocate funds to property, it can only go so far, you know? So uh, I think they've done a a good job. I wouldn't say it's great. I wouldn't say it's below average. It's good. Okay. Yep. Cool. What well, I, coming into it, I, I'm thinking, well, what's happened in the last two or three years and, and where is it all heading and where do we want it to head? Because we we – Inflation drives a lot of the decision making around the country, doesn't it, from a cash flow mm. point of view? So I think, well, generally speaking, the last two or three years have been pretty fruitful for anyone that's owned property around the country. Yes. And also through COVID period, if we were, we maintained our employment, we're also reasonably cash heavy because yes. uh, we haven't been able to travel, we haven't been able to spend as much money, etc. So, uh, we may be in a financially solid position from both angles, asset rich and also reasonably cash heavy. Mm. Now, there's obviously exceptions to that. Um, so don't jump up and down on me saying, well, I haven't got any money. But um, contrary to that is we've got a situation where the cost of living has dramatically increased post-COVID. So those cash buffers are getting whittled away. And we talk about I suppose, food in particular, and the big one is the Bowsers, the petrol. Mm. Uh, and we see that because we drive past a servo every 20 metres and we see that it's got a two, two in front of it instead of a one. Yes. Now, petrol and food are... And going off the topic of property, but they are two necessities in life. We basically can't avoid those two uh, expenditure items on our, on our balance sheet. So what we need to be thinking is, well, what does it mean for us going forward as uh, property owners? If we're not into the market yet, how are we going to get in it? And the schemes that have been released have enhanced that, I believe. Um, but as an investor that's looking to maybe build a portfolio or build some further wealth, we need to be strategically thinking, well, yeah, population-wise, what does that mean for, for Australia and where do we put our hard-earned um, into what location? Yeah, most definitely. And look, I think um, probably... We'll unpack the property stuff in in more depth. Obviously, that's what this episode is about. But I feel like it was a really like non-offensive budget. Like no one's outraged by anything in that that budget. Um, I think they've tried to do their best to disperse it as evenly as possible. And certainly, you know, you mentioned about the petrol prices with a two in front. Well, they've all got a one in front of them now. I went and filled up yesterday. Um, You know, instantly overnight, it's like they enforced that – the deduction, mm. yeah, yeah. Mm. So, which is great. Um, yep. But yeah, it'll be interesting because I, I was feeling like as petrol prices were increasing and as just generally the cost of living was increasing, I was thinking, oh, like how is this going to impact the property market and people's capacity to purchase um, mm. and even just save funds to purchase? So it all plays yeah. into each other and it's all relevant. Yeah, and and wages is a big one. Like yeah. the. Uh, before we get into that property, which is literally 30 seconds away, like I, I think uh, 
these band-aid effects have happened in the budget. Like there's uh, there's little cash injections that will last until April or May and then go away. That's and fend for yourself after that. Primarily, there hasn't been an increase in wages uh, that's required to sustain the new cost of living. So that mm. that's my overarching thought on the budget. But uh, yeah, so let let's look at the headlines of of what's happening in the property space from a from a budget point of view. Yes. So the first thing, the first cab off the rank is 35,000 places a year under the first home guarantee for first home buyers with a deposit of 5%. So basically, I think what they've looked at is the barrier to entry in the market, which this scheme has already existed. It's more about the accessibility of the scheme because it got the places when it got first released were snapped up literally like overnight for people wanting to, to do it. And we often hear, and I'm sure listeners can resonate with this, is serviceability is there. It's the time it takes to save the damn deposit. So, you know, this is why I think from a budget perspective, they thought, well, this is a solution. Let's give more places to um, a a group of people who do have a 5% deposit and can get into the market sooner so they're not just, you know, spend the next 10 years saving. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's, as you mentioned, that's already existing. It's gone up uh, from the current 10,000. That'll start July 1, 2022. So there's an extra, um, essentially, 25,000 spots available. Uh, now, I, I was under the impression that the second 10,000 that was given, not all of them had been taken up. So I'm my, the jury's out for me as to whether the all of these are going to be accepted because the big issue with this and and slamming the budget straight up here right now, Emily, is yes. <laughs> uh, the the cap uh, on property price that you can spend to take advantage of this scheme. Mm. So it might be, I don't know, I'm just making up a number, but in, in every state it's different. But for example, if it's 800K in, in, in New South Wales, in, in Sydney, right, the median house price is a million dollars. So it doesn't get a lot of what people are after. They, they, yes, they might be able to get into the market, but what can they get to qualify for this scheme would be my question. Exactly. Well, you're actually correct with the figure. It is 800,000 in New South Wales for capital city and regional centres, and then 700,000 for Vic, 600 for Queensland, and then 500 pretty much for all the rest. Mm. So, yeah, it is, um, it's an interesting one because, yes, it will get you into the market in some capacity, but maybe not for some people, not enough accommodation for what they actually require being a first no. home buyer, particularly kids in the mix, you know, that requires more bedrooms, more accommodation. Um, so the money only goes so far. So it wouldn't be unusual to expect that people would maybe want to see an increase in those thresholds. Yeah, yeah. And I, I don't think there's any downside to increasing the thresholds. Like it's, mm. it's for first home buyers. So if you want to buy a property for $2 million, then why can't you like it's it's obviously the bank is covering the risk of of okay only putting down a a five percent deposit or no lmi that sure they've got to cover that but the serviceability is there in a lot of cases it's just they're hamstrung by that uh, ceiling of price but any case let's uh, let's move on well, to the next one. So there's 10,000 places a year under the new regional home guarantee. Now, um, I must say I had to read up on this a little bit uh, to understand exactly what it was. But it, it to me, it sounds like new houses built in regional areas. Yeah. So 
10,000 places from the 1st of October. So that's going to last roughly three years, I believe. So it'd be interesting how quickly these get taken up. Um, so they it, it does in, include existing homes as well, I believe. Oh, okay. Um, so you can construct a new home and you can also buy an existing home. So it can be non-first home buyers, which is the really interesting part, is you don't need to be a first home buyer to take advantage of this. Um, so I think this is the one guarantee, the 10,000, that will get taken up reasonably quickly when you include that um, little well, uh, offering. Yeah, because the wording around it from what I can see is in Australian citizens or permanent residents who are first home buyers or have not owned a property within the last five years. That mm. seems to be the wording. So I wonder, does that mean, mm, so you'd have to have been a non-property owner for the last five years as opposed to bought one five years ago. Yeah. So they're yeah. saying, well, you had a property, you yeah. sold it five years ago, you probably should have kept it, but you didn't. Um, yeah. Now we're going to allow you back into the market for the second time. Yeah, cool. Well, that makes sense. Um, yeah, I think, you know what, there's been a lot of media out about this one saying like, will this now start to impact the regions even more with the medians increasing? Because regionals, like it's just, it does baffle me, like how much land you can actually get for dollar value. Like when you look at a per yeah. square metre ratio, it actually is reasonably affordable, which is why people are flocking to these areas. But yeah. at what point, and I just cast my mind back to the episode we did with Eliza Owens from CoreLogic, um, and she was talking about the fact that the, for the first time almost ever um, last month, the regions actually outperformed the metro area um, like by a mm. mile with the growth. Yes, absolutely. So, mm. yeah, it, it will be one to monitor, I reckon, because I do think uh, it will have a bit of an impact on um, people wanting to get into those markets and finding them more attractive. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, actually, you are right, um, Emily, as always. Home buyers can build or buy a new home. So you can buy a home existing, but it mm. needs to be obviously uh, brand new by the look of things. One thing they haven't done is put a price cap on this. So getting released in October, they haven't set a price to say, well, yeah, you're exempt from or 5% uh, deposit or whatever the subsidy is yeah. um, uh, under a certain figure. So that is yet to be released. Yeah, interesting. Um, I wonder what that will be. Hopefully no less than 500000 but who knows. Well, you're right. Like the land price anywhere is has risen considerably, hasn't it? And the cost to build a home, and, and we're actually interviewing someone specific to this uh, very soon, mm. um, I would argue that it's got to be minimum 300000 to build a home um, and most uh, blocks, residential blocks are going to be in excess of 200,000 in most most areas, even even larger regionals. So, yeah, I think it's got to be more than 500K. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Now, the third one to note is uh, 5,000 places a year for the family home guarantee for single parents with a deposit of 2%. So 2% yes. minimum deposit. Now, that is very attractive for a lot of people um, in terms of what they're allowances for a deposit uh, but obviously also does play into the purchase price of the property that 
obviously fluctuates, uh, but it aims to support single parents with at least one dependent child in purchasing a family home. So now this was already in existence. Um, It's more about, I think it's the additional now 5,000 places that are being released. Yeah. Okay. So I love this. Um, First home buyer, uh, single parent, there's a, a lot of them out there. Get in with a two percent deposit. That that's that's awesome. Um, we just need to make sure that we can service the the loan, obviously, and we factor in some cash flow bu- um, buffers in our life. It's it's sort of big daddy talking here um, yeah. <laughs> to say, well, yeah, it's a fantastic outcome because you go in and buy something at six hundred k, and you put in what, less than 30K as a deposit, um, that's achievable for uh, a lot of people to, to get a start. So we just need to make sure we can we can service the 570 um, yeah. going forward as a single income. Definitely. Mm. So from my uh, Instagram education slash research on ABC. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> that was the the key things that I found. Perhaps we take a quick break and come back for anything additional as well as some extra commentary on what the impacts might be and some further thoughts directly related to property. We'll be back in just a moment. If you're after personal financial advice, don't get it from a podcast. If you would like help based on your own personal situation, head over to sortyourmoneyout.com. Click get help and we'd be happy to introduce you to one of our trusted advisors. We also have a panel of trusted mortgage brokers we can connect you with to get you into your first home, an investment property purchase, or to review your current loan if you don't have a broker. Our panel of advisors, mortgage brokers, and accountants work with clients all over Australia so they can connect with you wherever you are. That's sortyourmoneyout.com and click get help. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Okay, so going back a step, Emily, we talked about the the, the new build incentive and, and, and getting people into regional grant with new home. My concern for those people is builders – prices already on the rise. Materials are rising, uh, labour's increasing. So it's a really good opportunity and playing devil's advocate, of course, uh, it's a really good opportunity for them as business owners to put the price of their 
their bill quotes up in uh, in these sort of times, which probably did happen through the last couple of years when there was those fantastic incentives for for first home buyers that were building their their property, not paying stamp duty, getting twenty five from the national, getting another twenty from regional or ten for for city. Uh, it was quite lucrative for them as a first home buyer. Uh, was a lot of that uh, absorbed by the fact that. Uh, the prices were higher for what they were paying to build a property. That's very true. I think the whole um, building industry materials and the, and the cost to build, much as it's sort of packaged up as attractive, these house and land packages, it's a little bit scary as to what the the outlook is for that sector. Um, and I guess just people, you know, understanding that there is impact of, of rising costs in that area and just to be across it. And I also, I mean, I'm not, you're more privy to house and land than I am, um, but I assume that you can lock in uh, bill prices. Bill prices, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and and a lot of, uh, as I've mentioned before, we're actually building at the moment and, and, and a lot of builders won't lock in prices because they know right. the fluctuation of materials uh, occurring so frequently. Uh, but to give you... Uh, an indication as to what the we look at a price per square meter when we're building personally and if any clients want to do that we look at the same Uh, we we built in 2013 Mm -hmm. and we worked on about $1,700 a square meter oh wow Uh, so um, (laughs) now that conservatively today for the same product, if we were to build that same product with the same inclusion, same size, et cetera, we'd be looking about 2,200 a square metre. So it's about $500 a square metre. It's gone up in, yeah, seven, eight years. So it's uh, it's quite a jump and uh, it does have to have a ceiling of some – um, some way, shape or form. But uh, I guess the concern is we're already undersupplied as a country to the tune of about 10,000 properties a year. So if we're not building new properties, uh, how are we going to, uh, I suppose, curb this housing shortage, which indeed puts pressure on housing prices because when there's mm. a shortage of something, mm. there's a demand of uh, of wanting it and if more people want it and less people have what you've got then the price naturally goes up doesn't it totally one just so small bit of insight that i was i can't remember who i was chatting to you recently but it was someone in the building sector and they were explaining not only the shortage right of you know house and land and new dwellings but the issue of the tradies there's so many infrastructure projects in pretty much every state right now and uh obviously those projects are to do with the union that employs those people and seemingly they get better pay and well looked after when they're employed by the union. And so what's also playing into, I think it's good to be across, the uh, the costing but also the lag time in build from what this person had said was that everyone's going to go work for the union and so there's not many tradies left to actually build the houses. So uh, tradies are in demand right now. Uh, and um, they're picking and choosing what they want to do, which, fair enough, good to be in demand, but just side note as to the inside as to why it might take a bit longer slash yeah. cost more. That's right. And and I got a quote for, a, for someone the other day for a demolition and literally 
it was a it was a cost of timing because mm. to get it done in the next month it was like thirty five thousand. Wow. To get it done in four months time it was like twenty five thousand or something. But it yeah. was just that demand. Or okay, if you want it done now, you're going to pay for it, buddy. And I'm yeah. like, well, hang on, that's that's not really fair. But that's the the dire straits that people are in at the moment. And and I suppose further to that is uh, having a whinge at the budget again. Is they've gone and put incentives to business owners for employing apprentices. Yes. Right. But it, we're at the lowest unemployment rate in the last two billion years. Like, mm. So we're in a good state to be able to – anyone out there that wants jobs can get a job. Um, totally. You just put your hand up and apply. There's plenty about. So do we need to actually incentivize businesses to employ apprentices when – they can't even find apprentices themselves because there's uh, there's lack of uh, lack of labour. Valid point, most definitely. Mm. So there is something else that I wanted to add to this housing uh, budget summary. Now the NHFIC. Some of you may not have heard of that. It's the National Housing Finance and Investment Corporation. Um, an extra $2 billion has been allocated to that as a spending statement. Now, basically what this does is it uh, looks to improve affordability of uh, or availability of affordable housing, which is, right. again, a real issue in the country, isn't it? So of this amount, there's 1.64 bill being dedicated to national housing and homeless agreements. So that's yep. got to be a good thing. Definitely. If, uh, there is a lot more people on the streets now than ever. And you may not actually see them in the streets because they might be in their cars or in caravans or temporary accommodation somewhere, which is which is quite unfortunate. So this mm. is a really good outcome. Um, 20, uh, 200 and Nearly $224 million has been allocated to housing for Indigenous people in remote communities, so yep. that's a good thing. $3.8 mil has been allocated to the Northern Territory Remote Aboriginal Investment over the coming financial year in a bid to improve public housing and removing asbestos from community building in remote communities. Oh. So that's rearing its head and, and has always been here since the, the 80s. Those that haven't been around that long as, as long as me, James Hardy and the team used to put up uh, asbestos sheeting to build majority of houses around the country and it contained asbestos. It wasn't good for us. Uh, flicks of dust gets on trade tradespeople or homeowners and, and has, uh, has been killing them over the years, unfortunately. Um, mm. So it's good to get that stuff out of out of homes. If we're not touching it, generally it's okay. I'm not an asbestos expert by any means, mm. but if it's if we don't rip it open and split it and, and bang into it, generally it's pretty good. But So that's a good thing that we're getting to the to bottom of that, um, especially into remote areas uh, are often neglected in big city stuff, aren't they? Yeah, definitely. Um, and that's a... I guess the inclusive allocation as well of where funds are going to to make sure that um, those people have got the appropriate housing they need and also the asbestos issue is major. I actually didn't really know it existed until probably about a year ago. I was a bit naive to the fact that it was even a thing. Uh, yeah. But, yeah, people do die from it, which is insane. Um, so I'm glad that they're putting funds to fixing it. Absolutely. Just as, um, I guess, before we round this out just just some insight with the guarantees and what's actually been used up so far and I guess maybe we could even reflect back in a year's time to see how much more is 
being used. But there were some stats that I saw around what's happened to date. And pretty much since like the start of 2020, nearly 60,000 people have taken advantage of the guarantees in different shapes and forms. Um, But interesting enough, and I really love to hear this, out of the figures that came out about the guarantees, one in five had been issued to essential workers, which is awesome. And out of that group, uh, a third were nurses and another third were teachers. So, you know, that's such a sector where the salaries have been so stagnant and they're pushing so hard for better rates and for better pay and just to be looked after, which is definitely their right to ask for. So it's really good to hear that that's where they've been going. And then in the um, family home guarantees, 85% of those guarantees went to single mothers. So I think that that's, you know, really interesting insight as well. And uh, we'll be keen to track that over the next year as well and see, you know, how that sort of plays out with these extra spaces being available. Yeah, no, that's a good one. And I think we discussed it with Eliza Owens from um, CoreLogic, didn't Mm -hmm. we? The the fact that uh, more women are buying homes than... Yes. Not, not not necessarily men, but the uh, the increase of uh, of women purchasing homes individually is um, is on the rise. So that's a that's a great outcome yeah. as well. But uh, yeah, so just uh, so I suppose rounding things out, mm. what do you think the the introduction of the the regional grant or the regional scheme? What do you think that will do for re- regional markets around the country? I mean, I definitely see it being an increase of interest in people looking there to buy number one affordability but number two you know any extra assistance is always helpful uh the fact that it is for the newer builds i think you know people should be doing a fair bit of due diligence around what that looks like for them as we spoke about the cost per square meter and availability of trades but yeah i I definitely think that that will see the regions expand um and create a sprawl really you know like we're going to start to see some potentially more satellite cities and additional greenfield estates pop up around those which is already happening across the country but I think it's going to be even more so Uh, and I think the pandemic has aided people in realizing that location isn't everything you know proximity to the capital city is not mandatory anymore it's really around a satellite city that does have the amenity that you need um, to be able to get access to so overall I think it it is going to increase um, the medians in the regions which it's only I think it was going to happen anyway I think this is actually just going to excel it faster yeah no I I definitely agree with that Uh, it's really a good time to be a young person growing up in a regional centre like I I had the fortunate position of doing it myself and and uh yeah awesome experience but to have uh have this scheme now to get ourselves into our first property um it, it's it's hard to believe that as a 18 19 20 22 year old your first property is a brand new one it's it's yeah. like buying buying your first car <laughs> straight out of the factory isn't it like yeah. uh it's like uh Mum and Dad, like, how dare you go and build your first home as a as a first property to live in? It's, uh, yeah, interesting uh, very, concept. Well, it is, isn't it? And mm. and it's been. Would we normally do it if the scheme or the uh, the incentives weren't there? The answer probably is no. We just say, well, okay, we can buy something older. We can do it up over time and 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 let uh, let that do its thing. But yeah, it's it's changed the 
the the way we do business as a as a young person. Yeah, definitely, and it's just more accepted and more of the norm, really. So plenty of people out there doing it and, you know, making them their own. I think that's the beauty of building is you can have influence on customization of the floor plan and the colors and it's an exciting journey. Absolutely. Yeah, good. All right. Um, Speaking of first home buyer, tell me about your first home buyer course that you've got going on. (laughs) So smooth, John. (laughs) Uh, Well, I tell you what, in the period of um, not being able to get out of the house, in 2020, I did make a first home buyer course because I think the biggest thing is no one actually tells you how to buy a house. And I'm sure there's people who listen to our podcast and pick up, you know, golden nuggets here and there, but actually to lay it out from when you get pre-approval all the way through until settlement. um, I basically just made a course to tell you how to do that. Don't go trusting the real estate agents because, you know. (laughs) Shout out to all those nice people listening in. Shout out to those lovely people. No, I do love the agents. We work with them very closely. But um, at the end of the day, your interests need to be looked after and your education is going to help you excel into a property faster. So the course actually sits now under the My Millennial Money uh, education brand and there'll be a link in the show notes if you want to check it out. But it's just a more accessible um, resource for people to access who are thinking about buying a home. Awesome. So that'll be in the show notes. Um, Get a hold of it. Yes. Very good. All right. Well, uh, we discussed the budget rightly or wrongly. We gave our opinions. Hopefully we covered off with some sort of accuracy. If we didn't, we apologize. Um, But yeah, thanks for tuning in and we look forward to talking to everyone soon. Most definitely. And um, if you were interested in some of those stats we referenced and speaking to Eliza Owens and you haven't listened to the podcast, it's episode 411. Um, just go back you know if you're on a walk right now and you're like oh what am I going to listen to next maybe go check that out and uh, let us know your thoughts backtrack so have we done 411 episodes or do, or do well, we start well I don't know that you and I have 200. done but <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know how the seasons exactly work but I think it's season 4 episode 11 is how I read it there you go but yeah, right. let's go with 411 it sounds better <laughs> sounds very good yeah. alright until next time see you guys bye We acknowledge the dark and young people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits, and pay respect to their elders, past and present. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. Taking your property journey to the next level starts with education. That's why we make this podcast, but we've also created online courses to equip you with the knowledge you need to take the next steps. I've created the Solvair Online Academy open to both first home buyers and seasoned investors where I share my tips and experience from 20 years in the property space. And I've created The Buying Coach built from my experience as a buyer's advocate to demystify the confusion around purchasing property, particularly for first home buyers. Follow the links in the show notes to sign up and get started today. This podcast is for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general financial advice only, which does not take into account your objectives, financial situation, or needs. Because of that, you should consider if the advice is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on the information. If you do choose to buy a financial product, read the product disclosure statement and obtain appropriate financial advice tailored to your needs. Simo Interactive, Proprietary Limited, the publisher of the podcast, is an authorized representative of Money Sherpa, Proprietary Limited, which holds financial services license 451289. Mom. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.